Hey, 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 and welcome back to Thoughts from the 305. This month, we have a very special series on community organizing for you. This is in collaboration with the EBSA research team at the University of Miami. Now, I just want to make it clear, these conversations will focus on community organizing for social justice and liberation of the oppressed, quite contrary to other organizing efforts by those that are fearing losing their privilege. But actually, conversation with folks that are doing this liberation work within the community and collaboration with the community. So let's get to it. All right, let's start off by getting slightly familiar with our panelists today. Of course, not so familiar that we have to meet the parents, but just enough so that y'all know where they're coming from. Mars, would you do the honors, please? Yeah, uh, I'm Mars Fernandez. Um, grew up in Miami, spent time in the Northeast, a little time in California. And uh, I am a third year uh, counseling psychology uh, doctoral student who spends a lot of time in the community psychology world um, with, this, uh, with these people here, everyone here today. Um, and I'm glad to be here. Thank you, Mars. Lee? Yeah, I'm Lee. I am a fourth year PhD student in the community well-being program, and I have been for the past two years engaged with a local organization, Power U, uh, doing youth organizing around school to prison pipeline and school safety. And um, the focus of my dissertation is also around uh, community organizing practices and beliefs. Thank you, Lee. Liz? Hey, I'm Liz McInerney. I am a fifth year counseling psychology student um, who also too spends a lot of my time in the community psychology world. Um, originally from North Carolina, I've also lived overseas um, and I've been involved in a variety of different causes throughout the years. Um, but right now, a lot of my efforts are really interested in um, this idea of sustainability, um, regenerative activism, healing justice practices, essentially how do folks keep going in the midst of um, experiences with trauma and burnout that rise everywhere, but um, are very salient within um, organizing spaces. Thank you so much, Lee. Liz, I'm sorry, it's Friday. Um, I just came out of the water, I came out of the pool. Liz, thank you so much. Uh, and last but not least, Scott. Hey everybody, Scott Evans. Uh, Associate Professor, University of Miami, School of Education and Human Development. Um, I'm a community psychologist, and most of my you know, research and action related to community organizing is through my work alongside community organizers uh, here in Miami, taking action on a variety of social issues, um, and also you know, doing some organizing on campus with faculty uh, as well. And uh, all right, awesome sauce thank you so much scott and so let's get to it i'm sure many folks have seen on the news through social media through youtube all of the hullabaloo that's happening in out in the world uh, especially around social justice issues who's right who's wrong and the question of like what, what, what do you just do about it so can we like set that foundation so folks know what is community organizing and you can we can do this pop popcorn style if anybody wants to jump in but let, let, let let's have that conversation what does community organizing look like well two questions two-parter but yes 
and jump in yeah uh so in the youth organizing space where i um spend probably most of my time it definitely looks like uh building a base of people to support whatever issue the group is fighting for so it's about um you know building deep relationships with community organizations community members young people across the district to um just really gather power in numbers essentially and um have a large base of people that you can draw on to show up for direct actions or uh, for mobilizations and just to support the movement largely. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Lee. Any anybody else wanna wanna jump on? All right. And so, when when some when a community was organized, what does that look like? Do you have an example uh, or just like a structure, chain of events? Like, well, what does that look like to to folks? Yeah, I can jump in, and I think this also partially goes back to the other question. Um, the two things that come up for me just when I think about, like, what is community organizing and, like, is there an example? Um, one, I think of deep relationship and, you know, just, again, relationship with folks you're working with, relationship with the community, relationship to the land, um, just thinking on all these different levels about what it means to be in connection and in relationship with um, the work and the folks you're doing it with. Um, and I also think about this idea that there's not necessarily a way it looks. Like, I think I'm struggling because I'm like, how do you define it? And I, I think context plays a big role in what that looks like. Um, who's involved? What's the issue? What, you know, where you're located? All of that. Good point. I know it's a, a bit of a loaded question, um, but I appreciate uh, you clarifying that because, yeah, I think a lot of people um, and somebody like myself who's um, coming from the practitioner role, I'm, you know, trying to see how folks see community organizing so that I can explain it is one of the the challenges that I see because I get a lot of folks asking me it's like oh so what do you do or how do you you know what does change look like how do you create change and the different efforts that are happening in the community and so I think it's um trying to conceptualize it a little bit and try to give it some sort of de like description I guess um is usually one of the hardest things that like falls in the cracks of you know the, the lack of communication or trying to communicate it so thank you for that liz um if anybody does anybody want to add or have a different perspective no maybe possibly i can jump in with sirens in the background if that's okay uh, you know i think part of it is understanding that it's both a, a capacity building process and a an attempt at building power for change and that, you know, that building power is the capacity building part <laughs> getting really loud with sirens out here right now um but it's a process right and it's a process of, of becoming more educated on the issue uh collectively and, and i'm just going to stop here and let the sirens go by let somebody else do that. ah don't mind that y'all spring break in miami we've all seen it Scott's just witnessing it firsthand. Uh, I'll jump in there. Um, something that I think uh, is is helpful for for me to think about is um, organizing in sort of contrast to activism sometimes. Um, and I've heard other people bring this up, um, so I've learned a lot from from that conversation. Um, and that that organizing really is about um, like a long term uh, strategic change done in 
connection and collaboration with people um, that uh, see themselves as um, having material stake in what's being fought for. So very much invested in the outcomes and like self-reflection. Are we meeting our objectives? Um, how can we adjust our tactics in order to um, uh, obtain meaningful change in our lives um, and do that over the long term um, with other people um, who have uh, been working around um, improving conditions um, for a long time. So, yeah. Yeah, I think that that uh, is, a, is a pretty uh, important dis uh, distinction and also uh, but also is maybe an irrelevant distinction sometimes. I think oh, there's a lot of overlap between those two uh, uh, um, words also. So activism can is more so like a short-term uh, action at times or and then community organizing is more of the, the longer chain of events? Is that what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I think you can do activism and like sort of um, like just responding, responding because you're a person who um, who cares, who who maybe can can sense when things are unjust and 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 so I think I see certain things that that I do or people around me do that I'm like okay that's that was that was really important a really important act or moment of resistance like we needed that um, that that is invigorating, enlivening, and then organizing, I think, is uh, is distinct because um, it's really constantly looking at uh, how to connect with others and mobilize a whole lot of people who, um, who you know, uh, it's really different than, for example, advocacy, which when I write the word advocacy, I immediately think of the phrase like on behalf of, like I'm advocating on behalf of this group. And it's it's really, you hear a lot in professional settings. It's like the, the first step um, like of, um, of sort of a professional identity to be like, okay, we care about the world. Therefore we advocate on behalf of other people. Um, and organizing, I think um, more so like really requires um, relationships with, uh, like others have mentioned, um, deep relationships with people, um, more so than something like a flashy action. Um, but but all actions are more like tactfully um, um, contextualized, like within like a long term strategy. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. I appreciate you like mentioning that distinction, Mars, because that's definitely something that's come out of. Um, like my dissertation work is this kind of d distinction between the advocacy model or advocacy work versus organizing and there really there is a lot of overlap in terms of like political education and developing people and like um, doing maybe some like mobilizations or direct actions but an advocacy model is more of that like short term like there's a specific win that we're trying to achieve and we're just gonna like do a protest or do this thing and like try to achieve that win whereas organizing is kind of that more um long term and um also i think with the advocacy model sometimes it's a lot of like self-selecting in so like people will show up to a protest or a direct action because they're really interested in what's happening or supporting this particular event and so um 
you know, you may have like a hundred of people show up to a direct action, but if you aren't building those deep relationships, you won't um, have those people maybe sustaining their involvement or have connections with them to bring them back to later events. Whereas with organizing, when you're building those deep relationships with folks, you can draw upon them and call upon them for, you know, all of the different type of actions you do or meetings or town halls that you hold. So it is kind of like this longer term, um, goal in mind and then also like that you know relationship building piece that seems to be really key in terms of keeping people engaged for this long-term like progress of trying to make change yeah and if, if i can just add in one other thing go ahead, go ahead. i think it's really interesting the differentiation between an activist and an organizer and how folks want to identify and that's something that's also coming up in my dissertation and some people have used both. Um, so I'm, and it's a little, I agree with what Mars said, but then I also have talked to folks who very much are doing like organizing as we're talking about here, but would label themselves as an activist. Um, so I'm, I'm, I don't have an answer to that. I just find it a little confusing. And I think it's like, like I can, it's helpful to differentiate sometimes, but then not all using the same definition. Mm -hmm. It's then, con yeah, if that makes sense. It just gets confusing sometimes as to what folks mean when they say activist. I think typically everyone who says organizing or defines themselves as an organizer is talking the same language. Okay. But I think there's some different definitions going around around what it means to be an activist. That's kind of what I'm, how I view it. No, that's also helped to, to think about, you know, organizing, community organizing is a strategy that activists use, right? I mean, people who are activists engaged in forms of activism might use community organizing as a way to, you know, build some collective power um, to then, you know, achieve certain ends. Um, but, uh, you know, that, that's maybe one way to help differentiate the, the two. But I do think there is some differences between, like, an activist, a singular activist, uh, engaging in what Lee was talking about and, and, and maybe attending protests or joining um, actions of some kind. Um, but that's different than the process of community organizing, which is a longer-term uh, relational uh, collective capacity building process um, to achieve certain ends and also to, to build power that can be used not just on one issue but on multiple issues gotcha gotcha and i you know one thing that i, I definitely um would like to explore a little more y'all developing deeper relationships within the community y'all have gone into the community have done research have connected with different organizations what are some of the barriers and some of the things that you've noticed and that make it more like more difficult to establish these deeper relationships if because uh you know so for somebody who's born and raised in miami-dade i can see that uh folks are not the nicest <laughs> down here when it comes to um associating or affiliating with um people that they don't know or people that are out of their cultural bubble um and so like how do you go in and collaborate when there's the possibility of anim animosity when you're trying to do this work for folks that are some people in miami have never left the county and don't intend to venturing anywhere else so how do you infiltrate that 
that bubble without um giving them you know without having them lose all of their sense of security if that makes sense I'll, I'll jump in, and the the reason is because I probably I will wait for somebody else to have a better answer than me, but I'll just <laughs> underline your answers are answer. awesome. Mars, everybody's answers are awesome. Oh, thank you, thank you. Um, but but yeah, I think Miami is a particularly interesting context. It's not unrelated to other cities, but um, to use like, like a phrase like atomized, like I think that people really are very separate in their own world, um, driving to and from work, um, have different like, histories of migration, histories of, of getting here. Um, uh, and um, and yeah, I was recently in a conversation we were talking about how basically Miami feels like a city of cliques, like very tightly. That's good. <laughs> groups of like 15 to 20 people, maybe with like a, another concentric circle around that. but. Um, and that if you try to uh, uh, like reach into someone's click, people are just like, what are you being weird for? Um, and so like in my building, I live in like a 20 unit building um, and my partner and I are talking like, we have this phrase now of like erring on the side of communication, which is not a very cute phrase, but this is the phrase we use to push ourselves to like introduce ourselves to our neighbors. and. Um, uh, yeah, we put out a very earnest um, uh, flyer at the end, at the start of the pandemic about like like sharing resources and getting to know each other and uh, and I think yeah it was probably uh, I don't know how people really received it um, uh, yeah I think you have to be willing to be a little bit um, uh, like out of the norms uh, of engagement um, and. Um, yeah so there yeah there's that experience trying to trying to get to know our neighbors and now we have we sort of map out like okay unit seven is so this <laughs> so and so and and sort of like and that's their pet's name but but yeah it's 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 uh it's pretty hard but um um a, a contrasting experience has been uh organizing with um subcontracted workers on campus um which i would say our work has been sort of a lot of activism, a lot of flash in the pan, sort of uh, efforts to draw attention, um, and then you can. And in this experience, you can really tell how organizing feels like a much longer and and, and deeper um, uh, strategy. And um, and uh, and the, but the work, but subcontract workers are really organized, and and I would say because they share a workplace and they share conditions and. They have, um, they're really clear that they, it seems to me like they're clear that they have um, shared interests. So I think that those things uh, really facilitate um, organizing in Miami, anywhere. Mars, you're a great neighbor. You're, you're an amazing neighbor. Anybody who walked down the street around here and hand out flyers with the resources in the community, they'd probably think it's a trap. You're, you're amazing. Thank you for doing that. <laughs> Mars is amazing, and, and one of the things that uh, she just said reminded me about another aspect of organizing I don't think we've really touched on, and then we'll get to some of the challenges, but um, you know, I think organizing, another way it's differentiated from activism potentially is that organizing is um, is best when, it's, uh, when the organizing efforts are led by those most affected by the issue of concern, right? So 
So in the case of Power U, the organizing efforts really being led by, or at least co-led by, young people who are experiencing some of the challenges in the school system or challenges in the community that they face. Um, and, uh, you know, the same thing, you know, Mars' example of, of organizing with subcontracted workers in the land, those efforts will work best when the leadership kind of comes from those groups themselves rather than um, external party solidarity. Real quick on the on the challenges, if my background noise isn't too bad, sorry about that. You're um, good. You're good. You know, I think the the biggest challenge uh, I think that I've encountered over the years in my work with community partners is really, uh, you know, from where I come, right? Just you know, being based in an academic institution brings with it all sorts of baggage, both kind of historical and current, right? That, you know, universities have long been guilty of kind of extracting data from communities without offering much benefit, much reciprocity. Um, and so for me, it's been a process of just demonstrating commitment um, and showing up and, and being engaged, even when it doesn't uh, necessarily work with benefit. And then over time, um, we can figure out gotcha gotcha thank you so much scott now go ahead lee yeah i was just gonna echo that like um kind of showing up piece i feel like you know i moved to miami from michigan and it was really hard to kind of break into as mar was described you know these cliques in miami or just different groups in miami um not really being from the community and i think it was really helpful one to have you know you know, build relationships with people who already had relationships with community partners like Scott or other people on our team, you know, they knew some people in the community and could kind of make that introduction so that it didn't seem like I was just a stranger trying to kind of come in and they maybe weren't sure what my motives were. So I think that part of it is, is helpful for sure to kind of have somebody make that introduction for you. But I also think continually and consistently showing up for community organizations or partners, um, especially when they need large numbers of people or they need support in whatever capacity. Um, and sometimes it's not always convenient. Sometimes, you know, an event is happening downtown and it takes forever to get there and traffic at you know 5 p.m. But um, I think showing up and showing that commitment is, um, you know, it just it just shows to the community partners and organizations that you're committed to the work. And I think that builds um you know starts to build some trust and some you know level of relationship where they know that they can kind of count on you in that way no absolutely absolutely i definitely consistency is uh i think it's key in a lot of different arenas not only in organizing but showing up and not being flaky which kind of takes out about 50 percent of the miami population just saying um is not something that you want to be when you're trying to uh organize and that kind of goes into my next question and i know this is a harder you know to really what are the traits of a community organizer um because like can anybody you know be a community organizer like what do you have to and you know along with that consistency and that willingness to sit in five o'clock traffic going downtown because nobody would want to do that willingly and that's where everybody gets angry but what what do you have to do um like what are the recommendations that you have for folks that are interested in organizing 
I love these questions because I feel like they just so naturally flow. So I feel like I'm going to kind of answer the other one too with this. Um, but what's coming up for me is this idea of like, who's your community? Who are you organizing with? Because I think something that is one, a barrier about organizing in our setting is that we're students. So like, you know, for myself as an example, I no longer am in South Florida. Um, you know, maybe I'll end up back, but like my, my home is North Carolina. So this is kind of where I am right now. But I know based on the relationships I have with this team and the organizing that we do together, that the work will still continue and I can still pop in virtually or, you know, maybe Lee will sit in that five o'clock traffic to get down to the protest. But it becomes about our, again, there we show up as individuals and there definitely are individual characteristics, um, but it's also about us as a team. And I think that helps because again, it's this ongoing commitment. It's not just someone's here for two or three years and then they leave. It's mm. no, then there's another student and we know the EPSA team. Um, and there are certain qualities on this team that, you know, again, everybody's a little different, but that kind of shine through. Um, and yeah, I'm curious what folks think are the, the defining characteristics. I guess what's coming up just for me on a whim is, I, I do think there's a sense of, I don't know, passion is just coming up. We'll just stop there. Passion, Who, who's, who's next? Let me jump in. Um... Yeah, Liz. I uh, yeah. For uh, for for me, this team has been um, and was before me like in like an, a home within an institution. And I think a lot of people talk about finding their political home wherever they are, and, and it has become that for me. And I think that sort of speaks to um, uh, the role of organizations in organizing. How important it is for passionate individuals to um, like. To I don't to go through some sort of uh, process where to become to see themselves in whether they call themselves organizers or activists, but to realize um, it's not something to go alone, and it, it and there's 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 so much um, that comes out of building an organization and the capacity that Scott was mentioning earlier. The, the, the enduring um, organization that that stays around even when um, passionate individuals um, uh, uh, like move on. Yeah. True, true, and it, so it, it's a it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. If you really want to get into it, and you can't do it alone, so introverts. If you want to start organizing, gather your fellow introverts and talk to each other. But I mean, it's and I and I do see that it goes with that consistency and showing up on a regular basis and um, kind of on that. And this is, you know, something that is coming up because, yes, you need passion. You shouldn't be too attached with money and riches. Let's just be real. Um, but like, how do you do all this work? continuously for years on end without losing that passion is that something that you know comes naturally and you know liz you spoke about how your experience is, you know your dissertation on burnout and building that that self-capacity to to do this work and y'all are you know in multi-year and you know phd students uh, doing this work how do you continue pushing on and scott i mean 
you've been in it since the dawn of time i'm just kidding but you've been in it for a while hey, like hey, how do you <laughs> how do you keep moving forward um things move slow uh you know how do you just is it pushing through and y- y'all mentioned the team like how, do, how does that continue to work yeah i mean l- let me just say that i'm i'm totally in awe of of really skilled community organizers. I think it's um, the unique kind of collection of capabilities and characteristics um, that go into you know the, the perfect blend of, of being a community organizer. Um, you know, it starts in some ways with like a really sharp political analysis, right? Just a, 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 a structural or, or, you know, a systemic political analysis of the issues um but that's that may be a foundation but i think requires so much more kind of relational attributes you know some of the things that liz was kind of pointing to passion for sure but you know, a lot of skills of just listening and patience and trying to bring others forward rather than uh, trying to be like a traditional leader in some ways it's a really delicate balance but i think all of those um, kind of unique characteristics of organizing requires somebody with um, such a unique blend of patience and skill and deep political analysis and um, just the, the ability to kind of foreground the, the uh, resources and capacities of others rather than themselves. Um, and that's just a few things I've mentioned. Other people could probably pitch in some more ideas. Sure, yes. Thank you, Scott. Anybody anybody else? I think, too, just to jump in on this idea of the sustainability element, I mean, this is hard work. Like, it's really hard work. So I think, too, um, you know, just what I'm seeing, it's, I think someone I spoke to even said it's like, you know, if you're an activist or an organizer it's almost like a no-brainer you'll have an experience with burnout um, in the U.S. context you know, given to just kind of the normalization of this experience with burnout and work that we have um, which again I mean conversations are happening all over the globe about what this means for activists and uh, for organizers or again whatever term you want to use for it um, but I do think just coming back to this there it's important to have an acknowledgement about how hard this is and then to find what it is that you need to do to nourish yourself and your community and that's something that's coming up in my work that's really important again it's not just this like kind of self-care me me like there, there is a need to connect with the self and do that but again there's also this relational element and what that form of social support social coping can help with um yeah, so I, I wish there was like a magic answer. It's like do this and you'll be fine and can keep on going. Um, but it's it's very hard again because of the structures that we're up against. Um, it's not an individual fault. It's it's just kind of again what we're all swimming in in this water. Right, right, and I think you know when going into this work, understanding like if you're that passion is driving you, this is why many people have careers in this work. It's not you know just a job. It's something that you're gonna do for quite some time, and you're gonna hope hope that there's a retirement at the end. Hope, but that's probably not gonna happen because that passion is 
a lot, a lot of social justice issues and you know i personally don't think that a lot of the change that i'm hoping for is going to happen in my lifetime so that patience is definitely something that is learning throughout time and learning from from the youth um the whole hopeful youth um and their wisdom and th they're knowing that there's a lot of work to be done and yes it is very hard and but just really yeah i think patience for me is the the biggest one there it's not gonna happen overnight it's not gonna happen next year it's not gonna happen in a couple of years so just keeping uh, keep pushing forward keep moving forward meet the robinsons amazing movie if you haven't seen it but yes keep moving forward is probably the the phrase for for me as well so thank you for that thank you for that um and so with this hard work and uh, this was mentioned a little earlier like their stig what are the stigmas that you find in community organizing and doing this work and going into the communities because it's you know working um with community organizations it's even hard for someone who's in this community who works in an, a community org to even work with another community org because it's just like like what are you doing no you're coming after my funds what's going on like they're why why so those are some of the things that i've seen um on the practitioner front like what was so what are some of the and i guess this extending on some of the challenges but like specifically going on the stigmas of um I, helping you know putting that in quotes I, what you know because if that makes sense what, what are some of the stigmas have you seen i think i can speak um specifically to like the youth organizing context you know there's all these assumptions about young people um, that I think youth organizers particularly are always kind of trying to fight against in terms of like young people don't have the capacity, they're not developed enough, they're not um, capable, they're not, um, you know, they're not going to commit the time, they're just, they're not going to be engaged, you know, all of these sort of negative assumptions about young people. And I think um, what's so great about, you know, the work that Power U is doing and, you know, what I've seen of young people is they absolutely have the capacity. I mean, they they are driving a lot of this work forward. They're they're able to take on the same level of work that an adult is able to take on, and have the same level of structural analysis that adult that an adult has. Um, and I think, too, you know, it's really hard to make change when young people are the ones sort of asking for it because a lot of adults in power don't want to listen to young people mm -hmm. um, or ignore young people or think that they don't have couldn't possibly have the answers because they're not old enough. And so I think that's definitely a stigma within youth organizing that um, organizations are always trying to fight against and that young people are always trying to fight against is like that legitimacy and taking young people seriously and listening to their voices and, um, you know, making sure that they're heard. Absolutely, absolutely, and for you know myself working with youth that are you know aging out of the foster care system and or unaccompanied housing insecure, I absolutely I want to echo that a thousand percent. People really just don't want to listen to to youth because oh they're they're children, uh, what do they know? What have they learned in their short lives? It's like, um, what did do you remember when you were a child and everything that you soaked in and all the things that you learned from your surroundings? That wasn't just you. I, I, people forget when they were children and when they were told no because you don't know any better. But we we like to do that again because that makes sense. Mm, not so much, not so much. So thank you for that, Lee. Uh, let me see. 
are there you know to that well are there double and one one thing i was i i'm not sure what i was thinking when i wrote this question but let's try it out are there double standards to the stigma so like if thinking of the stigma um with youth and folks not listening to youth let me see are there like and i think i I touched on that adults you know wanting to silence youth but they themselves were probably silenced as um as young people are there other um potential double standards that exist within the stigmas of organizing I think there very much is still this culture of martyrdom, um, this idea that you really have to sacrifice yourself fully mm. to the cause. So, you know, you don't deserve to make money. You know, it's just you don't deserve anything. Again, not everyone believes this, but like, you really have to give it all. You work a lot. Um, you know, maybe you're experiencing, um, um, and you know, maybe this is sensations of depression, depression moods, some anxiety, but you know, like, oh my goodness, this kind of comparative suffering that happens, like it's so much worse for everyone else who you're serving, so you've just got to put this aside for now and keep on going. Um, You know, it's, which is interesting, and again, they're just kind of this idea, you know, it's like everyone else deserves to have this care and to have, you know, kind of these experiences that they may be having with depression or kind of some mental health concerns, um, wanting to, you know, have a fair wage, have health insurance, if here you are, you don't have health coverage, you know, you're having a lot of kind of just some, yeah, experiences with like sensations that are going on that are overwhelming. Um, and again, what I'm seeing in my research is actually when that happens and folks are in that state of such overwhelm, they're not really, again, don't want to generalize, but the folks I'm talking to have said that they're not able to show up for their work. Mm. So their work suffers. Um, again kind of this this awful cycle because you were doing this so you could help other people and now you can't even help them to the extent you wanted and you're suffering in the midst of it too right right yeah you can't pour from an empty cup then that's across all um lines of work uh i was at on a panel for for city year um talking about what you know different like what does working in a nonprofit world look like and having to emphasize yes you can earn a livable wage while doing this work and there are organizations that like you can set up a retirement fund i mean granted there are some organizations that they champion overworking and underpaying folks but then there are organizations that do have better funding practice practices so that their employees can continue to do work while also um working on themselves and i'm very thankful to be working for an organization that does prioritize my self-care but yeah i I have seen the the polar opposites and there there is that stigma though um that and what one young person had told me is like oh yeah my parents you know they're immigrants too and they uh, think that going into the nonprofit world going into the community organizing world is not going to make me any money and it's like come back and rewind yes and no there are some but like any other business there are some businesses there's some um non-profits or some community organizing um community-based organizations that will milk you dry and 
not pay you properly, but then there are businesses, um, well, nonprofits and community-based organizations that are going to give you a livable wage. You just have to hunt them down. So yeah, I definitely um, still see that. And I'm, you know, I'm not going to lie. When I first started, I was like, where do I go? But, you know, six years down the line, I'm like, okay, so this is becoming a little clearer. So yes, 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 yes. yes. Thank you, Liz. Um, let me see. So we talked about um, bringing in the youth, developing relationships, but let's talk a little bit more about who needs to be at the table when it comes to community organizing, who needs to be at the forefront, who needs to be at the initial conversations. Um, like how does, yeah. So, and and for the, let me see how to say this, who needs to be at the battle at the table so that successful positive movement forward for community organizing to occur. That makes sense. You know, and, Mars, I'm actually going to pull you in to this, but what's coming up is just um, conversation at the last UMESA meeting, and I believe you went to that meeting with the union. Um, essentially, it was this idea they didn't want the workers to be there, and I guess my thought is that the folks who are most directly involved need to be there, um, but that doesn't always happen, and it's just so interesting to, to see that. Um, yeah, I don't know if you have anything else to, to add to that, Mars, and... Yeah, just thinking about that. Yeah, that was that was definitely sort of um, uh, like just most neutrally. My my response to that is that that I I suspect that not taking every opportunity to um, work hand in hand and and follow the lead of workers. Uh, um, who the issues are about, like supposedly in this, it, uh, you know, it's, it's about workers' rights and working conditions at the University of Miami. Um, now during the pandemic, it's about contract negotiations coming up soon. So it, it's baffling sometimes when workers are not included. It just, it feels, uh, um, it's, I think it's a bad, uh, bad, it strikes me as bad organizing or, you know, like it, I, 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 I do wonder about what that does to, um, your base um, uh, and um, and you know the collaborative potential um, there, um, yeah. And then you know something else that's on my mind too is like, well, who needs to be at the table, but also what tables do we need to be at? And so yeah, like we can collaborate with um, people around issues affecting their lives, but how can we collaborate around issues affecting our lives? And through that, realize that we're all sort of embedded and affected by similar social forces and structural issues. Um, and, uh, and and I think that that's a, a good a good move for solidarity to um, to to both to be at some tables of issues affecting our own lives too. True true anybody anybody else got some who needs to be at the table <laughs> all right um so yeah and so in this can you actually talk about what umesa is for the context of the listeners yeah um umesa is a, a, an organization a student 
Ascended organization is uh, at the University of Miami, partnering with subcontracted workers who have been organizing for a very long time, at least since uh, 2006 and the lead up to their 2006 um, unionization um, with SEIU 32J. Um, and uh, yeah, that's UMISA. And before that, uh, the student organization that did, uh, was partnering with subcontracted workers in the union um, to push the University of Miami was uh, STAND, which is like students taking it, uh, standing up for democracy, something like that. Gotcha, gotcha. Thank you, thank you. All right, so does academia play a role in the liberation or is the institution enabling systemic racism? So thinking about or even systemic oppression in different organizations, y'all are coming um, from this academic institution. So what are your thoughts on how different institutions or like the institution of higher education as a whole is handling um, these different issues? Damn, Andre, you just uh, started a new podcast here with that question. I mean, that's why this whole series <laughs> is a month, not just one conversation. I'm just saying. Yeah, there's a whole lot to unpack there, and I think a lot of it um, you know, starts with the university's relationship with the community. And um, it, like I mentioned before, it hasn't always been great. Um, and, and mostly extractive of, of, you know, data from community to try to further uh, self-interest and, and academic needs. Um, but, you know, I think there's a real opportunity for community-engaged researchers, um, students, faculty, um, and, and community partners to work together on a lot of these issues. But I think it really requires a, a, a real commitment, an institutional commitment. And, you know, I can honestly say that over the years here at UM, I've experienced varying degrees of institutional commitment. And, um, and currently, maybe it's due to the pandemic, um, the commitment's been, uh, it's been light. And, and I've had to kind of fend for myself in a lot of ways in order to do this type of work. Do. So, you know, I think it uh, you know, requires that institutional commitment and it requires those of us within the institution, students, and faculty together to get a hold being a contributor to community betterment rather than um, being part of the problem. Thank you for that, Scott. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Anybody want to chime in? Yeah, I do just want to agree. I feel like you could do multiple episodes on this. Um, and again, I'm just going to speak for myself. I, I do not see the academy as a liberated space, although I think there are groups and people doing incredible work, not just at Miami. I think all across the U.S., globally, you will find stellar examples of folks really working inward. But if we look at it as the, the systemic force that it is, um, it, it's not good. It's got a lot of work to do, and it can be very damaging for folks on so many levels. Um, yeah. I agree 100%. Uh, that's why I have a, an episode asking whether you should start an only only fans to pay for college tuition, but that's a different conversation. Um, thank y'all. Thank y'all. So, and 
speaking of trying to um well going back to the conversation on um getting introduced to the community and potentially having someone else bring you into the community to, to start doing that work what are some of the other barriers that have popped up uh, post COVID? no is there a post COVID? No, during covid before covid like what are some of the other um challenges well i guess the you new know, challenge but barriers that it could be you know from the community it could be from funders like what so like what are some of the the doors that people have tried to close um and potentially preventing you from from doing the work you know someone recently described me a community member as patiently persistent and um she said it was a very nice balance i maintained to keep on following up but it wasn't overwhelming and i just say this i think it's been it's even harder in this COVID era and there's a unique context i think that i've experienced has been different in south florida too just you know, like getting yourself in the door, like getting off people's their attention versus now it's all virtual and you don't know and emails get lost. And then you want to acknowledge too that there's just so much going on, but there's also, you know, work that you're doing with folks and you want to move this forward. So it's kind of just this balance of just acknowledging everything that's going on. Um, but again, like I think what we were talking about in our team, we're really committed to being there and wanting to move the work forward. So to keep on showing up, but to do that um, in a respectful way. So patiently persistent, meaning you have to be annoying AF to make sure that people don't forget who you are, is what I'm hearing. I'm for that. I'm for that. I could be annoying. I can. But we'll, we'll, we'll use uh, patiently persistent instead of annoying. I appreciate that. Thank you for that, Liz. Um, and so what are some of the recommendations y'all have for folks that would like to participate in these efforts and the efforts that are happening within the community? I think it first um, sort of requires finding an organization that you kind of align with um, and that you feel like, um, I don't know, fits within your values, your beliefs, and maybe is fighting for similar things and trying, you know, to get connected to them, showing up to an event that maybe they're having or, um, you know, trying to connect to, to them in another way. I think, um, you know, I think folks who are doing community organizing usually, you know, I think would welcome more people because it builds their base and, you know, that builds power and, and capacity and just having more support. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's just like getting connected to a group that you feel like kind of aligns with what you're wanting to work towards. I think a key piece of that too is um, recognizing that depending on what issue you care about, there's probably already multiple groups working on that issue um, and trying to find the, the groups and organizations that are already active in that space and figuring out how you can be of value to them, contribute to that work. Um, you know, so many people come to kind of social justice work and think, I'm going to start my own thing, I'm going to create an organization or I'm going to start a group and really the best thing they can do is recognize that there's really good work already being done and, and how can you join with and support and lift up the work before giving that up community. And I, I do want to uh, amplify, want to elevate that a, 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 um, a little bit more. Um, I know that 
when I was starting to get into community work, I was like, I want to start an organization that helps vulnerable youth and connect them to different resources. Turns out um, there was there is an organization that does that, and I'm able to do that as a part of Educate Tomorrow. So, you know, that, that was something that I was like, dang, there really are. I was definitely one of those people that, oh, I'm going to start another nonprofit in the midst of all these nonprofits in Miami-Dade County just so that everybody knows... Um, that they're here but yeah i am thankful to be, to be able to do that as my actual work now as a part of another organization and if y'all spend as much time on instagram as i know and i'm talking about to the listeners if i know y'all spend your life on instagram there are plenty of organizations on there that you can research power you is definitely on there uh, so that you can look more into that work um that that lee was refer- referencing to uh the organizing efforts that they do um and they really just want folks to come out support these efforts so the organizers need the community's help if you're a community member that is looking to help instagram facebook twitter i don't know if they've advanced to TikTok just yet but let's, let's stick with the 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 big three uh anybody anybody else any other recommendations yeah and i just appreciate how we talked about this nuance of advocacy so i guess i would just encourage folks to you know if, if you're interested in a cause to think too just about where you fit into that or kind of like again and not to say that it's bad to advocate for things because again you know we're also you know there's a lot of issues out there and you also have to be looking to outside of yourself but if you want to continue to build that political power and to really get more into this organizing realm, again, what are those, like what Mars said, like what's that table that actually you really need to be at? Not one where you need to be like, again, it's a, you're doing multiple things at once, so it's not like an either or. But I would just encourage folks to expand that a bit and to think about the issues that are affecting their lives and how that's related to the folks you're advocating for there are definitely some commonalities there absolutely absolutely um thank you for that um so my final question have y'all heard of the cs slash hb1 combating public disorder legislation that uh the florida government is trying to pass so this um this act can potentially make if you get arrested during a protest uh felony and you can get fined for it uh what are your what are your thoughts on that you said we could cuss on this podcast right it sure can holy fuck (laughs) um just to put that out there (laughs) my reaction is the same no and it's all just uh an attempt to um you know, basically stifle democracy. And, um, I mean, activism and protest um, is as part of who we are and our ability to utilize free speech and, and protest as a, as a way to contribute to um, policy and, and changes that we want to see is, is, is core to, to who we are as uh, as a country and it's anti-democratic and, and, you know I intend to get arrested um, if if that 
policy does in fact get um, enacted, um, and I'm hoping others will join with me, including all of these people on this podcast right now. I'm looking at you. Hey, if it has to get there, it's, I think it's a very, uh, yeah, I mean, for lack of a better phrase, it, it it really is fucked up. Like, how are you, and this is the reddest, one of the reddest states in the United States of America. Let's let's be real. Everybody's always looking, is Florida going to turn blue? Probably not in the century. I mean, at minimum, not in the decade. You know, let's hope for 2030, blue 2030, but it's it's beyond me so many and you've seen the florida stories oh the florida man and then this person doesn't want to wear a mask and this person is saying that their li- their rights are being um their rights are being uh constrained and it's just like okay so we just want to eliminate the the first amendment in the state of florida for certain people is is, is what we're saying but they don't really think of oh how is this going to affect me if i wanted to start a protest but you know, let's be real. It's it's gonna be policed. It would be policed differently um, if that came to if that happened. So I, it's just really you know how to how do community organizers um, combat this ridiculousness? Yeah, and I mean, I think there's it's not a coincidence the timing mm-hmm. that this came after the the you know this global racial justice protest that we saw all over. Um, this summer. So I, I see this as a, you know, white supremacy kind of rearing, you know, showing its face again, um, which it does time and time again. But I see this as a, as a backlash to what happened. Um, and it's very scary. Like that's the word that comes up for me. I think everyone should be terrified by this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, I, I agree with all of you. That's like almost speechless, but, um, I know there is some pushback being organized um, and to just sort of speak to um, your your previous question too, the question of like, what are some recommendations, right? Like, I just wanted to, to validate that it's actually hard sometimes to join an organization because like if we if we look back on, on history for, for just to give us a little bit of a reality check, um, there were more people in, um, I think there's a stat, or a, yeah, there's more people in bowling leagues in the 70s than there are in any kind of organization today in present day U.S. So we're actually really individualized, atomized, um, and so if it's if it's hard to find an organization, you don't feel like someone's trying to trying to hit you up and connect to you um, and organize you, it, or, or you know, if if I'm feeling that way, it's it makes sense to feel that way. There aren't that many organizations, but there. There are some, and they're and they're growing. So, if um, if we are joining more organizations and, and, and being organized more, it's um, it's because we're part of a, a rising tide, and uh, and and there is um, some good organizing happening around HB one, and and it's wild that it's happening. There's other legislation legislature like this being put forth in other states. So it just always strikes me yet. Florida's a really Red state, especially at the state level, and and um, and uh, the right is so organized <laughs> for so for so long, right? Like they're just all of a sudden there's like 200 something bills being put forth across the U.S. to um, to like voter suppression style bills because because um, that's what they do, 
And, but Florida is also a state where we pass like a resounding um, uh, $15 um, wage. Mm. Um, and then Biden administration like really quickly gave some sort of parliamentarian excuse as to why there's not a federal minimum wage. So I think what's happening sometimes is that um, the Democrats are not our friends and they're not fighting for us. And that like, it, it, um, and yeah. So I think Florida's red in some ways, but people want, um, like there are popular uh policies um and i and it doesn't matter if this if this policy is like not popular um at all but yeah i'm pretty worried that it would be passing and, and another thing that comes to mind given sort of like I, yeah i think policing is inherently white supremacist um especially in the united states uh who the question is always for me who do the police serve and who do they protect and what do they protect and um we would expect to see like any protest policies um, being differentially applied, as is all policing um, in the U.S. Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. Amazing points. Thank you all so, so much. Okay, if y'all and you know folks listening if you're interested in finding more about this legislation again instagram has been blowing up with different organizers that are doing the most to really bring this legislation to light i will link them in the in, in the thoughts for 305 um, instagram account that it will also be on the absent instagram account um but yeah that is all for our episode please stay tuned for the rest of our community organizing series that will be taking place all through the month of april and i want to thank my wonderful panelists today mars liz lee and scott thank y'all so much for being here i know it's friday it's happy hour you know but I appreciate y'all for being here. Uh, as always, this is Thoughts from the 305. I'm your host, Annie La Negra, and I wish everybody a happy Easter.